Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. The United States, you know, has and is going to continue to support and stand by our ally, Israel, as you defend yourself from these barbaric attacks by Hamas. I really think we need to settle on a speaker and just do it the constitutional way and and find somebody that can get 217 votes from within the Republican conference. So at some point, as a participant, I have to ask myself, am I getting anything accomplished for the people that I'm here for? Or am I just going to be a rubber stamp on a product in December? I don't want to be a rubber stamp. I want to actually have an impact on the process and the way the process works. I'm not being heard. There are still agricultural interests represented and rural interests, which is really critical. Um, we're going to continue to move forward and bring forward ideas that, that help us strategically plan for our water future. Hello, Yate. I'm Jonathan Nez, and I'm running to represent Arizona's second congressional district in the United States House of Representatives. The attacks on fundamental freedoms, I believe, is an intent to try to divide us as a nation and to distract us from the failure of so-called leaders who ain't doing nothing that is about uplifting our country. And joining me to talk about a new open seat in Arizona's congressional delegation, setbacks for supporters of hand-counting ballots and more, our former State House Minority Leader, Reginald Bolding. Good morning, Reginald. Good morning. And Daniel Scarpinato, former Chief of Staff to Governor Doug Ducey, now with the firm Winged Victory. Daniel, good morning to you. Good morning to both of you. All right, so, Daniel, let me start with you. Debbie Lesko announces this week that she is not going to run for re-election. She'll serve out her term, which, uh, which ends next year. Was this a surprise to you? Well, it was a surprise. I'm a big fan of Debbie Lesko. I actually worked four years ago in in the State House of Representatives. I think she's done a great job representing our state, and she's always been a really effective uh, lawmaker. I thought her her statement was um, refreshingly candid about her reasons for leaving and the dysfunction that she sees in D.C., as well as uh, wanting to care for her mother and, and spend more time with her family. But it's rare you see someone bow out after a few terms. And I actually give her a lot of credit. I think I think she made the right decision for herself. What does it say about Congress if somebody like Debbie Lesko, who serves in a very Republican district, like winning a reelection would not be a concern for her, that she is saying, "I, I just can't do this anymore? That it's not a very gratifying job right now. There isn't a lot of opportunity to get anything done, no matter which party you're in. And I think her statement was a reflection of that. Yeah, Reginald, I'm curious what you made of her statement, basically saying, and we heard her saying just a few moments ago, like it's so partisan, it's so dysfunctional, like it's not, as Daniel said, it's not a gratifying job. You know, these are conversations that uh, we've had for years with regards to what's happening in Washington, D.C. and the chaos. Um, You know, quite frankly, right now, I I don't know who would want to be flocking to a a chaotic place unless you want to add to the chaos, which I think, you know, we we heard some kind of early announcements that folks probably want to add to the chaos that's happening. But right now, I mean, as you see that, you know, there's no speaker in the House um, right now. And, you know, there's in-party fighting within the Republican caucus. And and, and I don't see an end to that anytime soon. Daniel, how crowded do you think this primary will be? We saw Abe Hamaday, who ran for attorney general last year, announced that he's in. Do do you expect more? Well, I expect more, although I don't think it will be as crowded as some might expect. And I don't think 
it will be nearly as crowded as it was last time. I think the unique situation we have now are some folks like Abe Hamaday and possibly Blake Masters, who just came off of big statewide campaigns, have a lot of name ID. And in the past, you've seen kind of an exodus from the state legislature. Um, I think Ben Toma, the Speaker of the House, I think his name is is still in the mix, and he'd be also be um, a, a very uh, formidable candidate in that district. But um, but I actually think this field will be smaller than some might expect. So I want to ask you about Blake Masters, because, of course, when you serve in the U.S. House, you do not have to live in the district that mm-hmm. you're representing. But he lives pretty far from that district. He lives in Tucson. This is a West Valley based district. Yeah. You know, I didn't. For, for instance, Abe Hamaday, who announced, I guess he grew up in that district, mm. went to high school in that district. I didn't know that. So I don't know. Possibly Blake has a connection to that area that that I don't know about. But um, I also think that we've seen ever since really John McCain ran for Congress in, I think, 1982, that in Arizona, that's really not a, a big deal. Most of the people in this district probably are transplants themselves from the Midwest and California and other places. So I, I'm not sure that that uh, resonates as much as it may have years ago. Reginald, do you anticipate Democrats will try to field a candidate in that district? I mean, Lesko ran unopposed last year. Yeah, um, of course, you know, Democrats, you know, will have a candidate in a race. I think right now um, what we do expect is that, you know, it'll probably be a very heated, you know, Republican primary. Um, you know, I, I think any Democrat in that district right now, you know, has is going to have a very hard time getting elected, quite frankly, when you just look at the the, lay, the layout and the makeup of the district. Um, but, but with that said, I, I do believe that, uh, you know, this is an opportunity for us to really take a step back and, you know, see if even the, the messaging that, you know, uh, Miss Lesko said, you know, as she stepped out and, you know, that may be something that may broadly trend across, you know, who do you want representing you in, in other competitive districts? All right. So, Reginald, let's stick with you and move a little bit further north to uh, CD2, uh, which is currently occupied by freshman Republican Eli Crane. We heard this week that Jonathan Nez, who until recently was the president of the Navajo Nation, is going to run uh, as a Democrat in that race. This is a district that had been uh, represented by a Democrat until it was redrawn and was made a bit more Republican. How do you see this race shaking out, assuming that that Crane and Nez are the two nominees? Look, you know, uh, Tom O'Halloran, former congressman, he had, you know, very strong name recognition, tons of money put in that district. And, you know, he, he lost by about seven points or so. So, I mean, it, it's a it's a difficult, you know, race. With that being said, you know, uh, Jonathan Ness, he spent eight years as vice president of the Navajo Nation, four years as the president of the Navajo Nation. You know, he's someone who I think could definitely get, you know, folks in Indian country excited about. And and regardless of whether or not, you know, he wins the race or the race is very close, I think it's going to help top of the ticket regardless. Daniel, how do you see that that congressional race shaking out? Well, you know, it's interesting when you go through the redistricting process and everybody has all these models and and everything that they look at of how different races played out in um, these des- newly designed districts. But you never really know how they're going to perform until you get to the other side of redistricting. And I think this district is different than, as as Reginald said, than the, the prior uh, district. However, um, I do think there's a lot of independent thinking people in this region of the state. And um, and it was not a blowout. It was a solid victory for Eli Crane. But I do think he needs to run a race each cycle. I do think he needs to be making sure he's getting around his district. So I, I don't know that I anticipate this flipping 
this district, I wouldn't, or this cycle, I wouldn't put it in that category. Um, but this isn't uh, like the district we were just talking about, right. Debbie Lesko's district. I think in the in depending on the cycle, depending on the candidate, it could be competitive. And my advice to Congressman Crane would be: you really gotta raise money, work your district, be present. Um, and I think, especially in rural Arizona, people's expectation is that you take the Rick Renzi approach, that you're almost running for mayor in each of these towns and, and you have a, a real presence on the ground. Reginald, one of the things that I thought was so interesting about Jonathan Nez is when he was president, his vice president was not ideologically aligned with him, was a Trump-supporting Republican. Is that something that could potentially come up in a district that is a little more Republican than, you know, than maybe some Democrats would like? Look, I wouldn't count out, you know, uh, Jonathan Ness. You know, he's he's very smart. He understands the, the community, and he's someone who I think can navigate navigate not only on the nation but off the nation. If you if you watched him, you know, during you know COVID, and you watched you know some of the policies that he's made, I mean, he's he's been someone who could really gather and bring people together. You know, he he barely lost his race, uh, his reelection for mm-hmm. Navajo Nation president. Um, you know, he's willing to align with folks who he, he may not agree with every single time. And I think in a district you with, with independent thinkers, you want someone who has the ability to, uh, to to jump into that. And if I could just tag off that, I think the, the, the Navajo Nation is a significant part of this district. And if he were really able to increase turnout on the, the nation, um, that could be a, a huge game changer in terms of how this district performs. Daniel, I want to ask you about something Reginald brought up about the fact that there is still no Speaker of the House a couple weeks after uh, Kevin McCarthy was ousted. Another vote this morning looks like uh, Ohio Republican Jim Jordan uh, is not going to have the votes. All of the members of Arizona's delegation have voted for Jordan in the now three votes that uh, that he's had. Is that an issue, perhaps, especially I'm thinking for someone like Juan Siskamani in southern Arizona, uh, some maybe like David Schweikert in the East Valley who are seen potentially as vulnerable and maybe, you know, is this a campaign issue where people, you know, Democrats can say, hey, look, this, you know, voted for somebody who didn't believe Biden was elected? Well, I guess what I would say as it relates to to Juan Siskamani and David Schweikert is good for them. I mean, I think especially in Juan's case, and he's a friend and someone I've known a long time, he ran on solutions and getting things done in D.C. Right now, nothing's getting done. Eight Republicans teamed up with 208 Democrats and threw a wrench into the House of Representatives, and now nothing's happening and we have total dysfunction. So I think the fact that they are working with their conference, the conference, the Republican conference is putting nominees forward and they're being team players, I think says a lot about their interest in moving past this and getting something done. And at least this week, Jim Jordan was the only legitimate candidate on the table. If the Democrats want to have a debate about extreme folks leading their party, um, then let's have the debate about Hakeem Jeffries and and his positions on the issues and, and where they are. And I think we can win that debate. Reginald, do you think it's a safe assumption that Arizona voters, at least in certain districts, will be hearing the name Jim Jordan in, in TV commercials this year? Maybe this year. I mean, I don't know if it's going to move uh, voters, quite frankly. You know, I think if you poll most 
voters here in Arizona and ask them who is the speaker. I mean, currently right now, there is no speaker of the <laughs> yeah. House, as tough, you asked them before. Tough question now. Right, right. I mean, I, I don't think they would have known. I think one of the issues that's going to be much more difficult for uh, Juan Siscomani is, you know, his stance on abortion issues. We have an abortion ballot initiative that's going to really, I think, really change the game uh, in 2024. Um, but, but the reality is, is these are very competitive districts, and these are districts that have high independent uh, voter registrations. And, and the reality is, is that there's been nearly 20 votes for the Speaker of the House uh, in Congress right now. And neither one of them have reached across the aisle to actually say, hey, 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 Democrats, you know, hey, Mr. Jeffries, how can we actually come together to create a consensus of running the government? So right now we're at a place where, you know, you would Republicans would rather not have a government, would not rather have a speaker in place Put it, leave us vulnerable to, you know, you know, Ukraine and Israel and all of these issues rather than work across the aisle. And I think that's just not a good place. And I think that's going to be an issue. And, and, and I would just add that um, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the the former speaker McCarthy worked with the Democrats to keep the government open and then the Democrats voted to oust him. So I don't know that there's a big appetite right now for, uh, unfortunately, for both parties coming together and seeing consensus. Reginald, let me start with you on some uh, ballot issues. Uh, there was an appeals court ruling this week that said Arizona counties are not allowed to conduct hand counts of all ballots. This, of course, was an issue uh, Cochise County has wanted to do this. A few others have, have talked about it. Um, there have been a lot of studies that detail some of the difficulties of counting all the ballots, both for accuracy and in terms of cost and in terms of the time. Um, do, do you anticipate this being the end of the road? Do you think there's going to be an appeal of this? I, I don't think this is going to be the end of the road. I mean, look, this is Groundhog's Day again. You know, we are sitting here still having conversations about hand counting ballots and, you know, all of this different information. I mean, the next thing we're going to hear again is that, you know, the election was stolen from, you know, uh, Trump and Carrie Lake. I mean, we keep having the same conversation. The courts are keep saying, essentially, let's move on. There's nothing that you have that can actually prove any of the state of facts that you that you have. Uh, the reality is uh, we don't want to be in a position where Arizona taxpayers are going to have to pay more money, uh, where there's going to have, you know, a higher potential, um, you know, uh, discrepancy within, you know, ballot, you know, uh, finalization tabulations. And, and just the reality is I'm hoping that we can move forward, but I just don't see an incoming in anywhere near. Daniel, is there an appetite sort of when you move sort of beyond the Republican base, like the primary voters, let's say, among sort of the greater Republican Party, is there an effort to put this issue behind them and move on and focus not on 2022 and 2020, but on 2024? Well, I always joke and say, you know, the best way to avoid these issues is to do what my former boss, Doug Ducey, did, which is win by 15 points. And then you don't have to worry about uh, about all these lawsuits and issues. But I think that I, I, I do think there's an appetite to move beyond it. I don't think the electorate wants to be talking about 2020 or 2022. And you know what? There's a very good chance that this year. Carrie Lake and Abe Hamaday are both elected to office, that Carrie Lake's elected to the U.S. Senate and that Abe Hamaday's elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, as we were discussing. And I think if you look at Carrie Lake's uh, announcement, it appeared to be a success. And uh, the the media coverage I read about it uh, showed that she was broadening her coalition, that she was talking about this issue 
um, in a different way. And and I think that that's exactly what she needs to do. I think she proved to be an effective campaigner. And if she can broaden out the voters she's reaching, I think she'll have a lot of success. And frankly, she doesn't have to worry about a primary this time. So she's got the next year to be communicating with independents and other voters. Well, so, Daniel, along those lines, I mean, do you think if you were advising her, would you suggest that maybe she drop some of the lawsuits that she's still a part of? We saw a ruling just this week about uh, trying to get Arizona to stop using ballot counting machines, for example. Like, is that the kind of thing that is not helpful to still have that in the news and her name attached to it as she is maybe trying to move away from those issues? Well, I admit I don't know where all these lawsuits stand, but my advice would be to get out, communicate with the voters about the issues they care about most right now, which in Arizona actually is crime and the economy, and be out there talking about those issues and tell everyone to turn in their ballot as early as possible. Reginald, would you, I mean, is it safe to say, do you think that Democrats will continue to, I mean, we've seen Democrats, you know, with the the Lake tapes, trying to remind voters of things that Carrie Lake has said before, do you think that they will continue to make try to tie her to election conspiracies and election fraud issues as she makes this run for Senate? You know, the thing about branding is that it could be a good thing and it could be a bad thing. I think, you know, the the Carrie Lake brand has now become synonymous with sort of, you know, chaos has become synonymous with you know, all of these issues, you know, the the, the Trump lake, it's, it's, it's become synonymous with who she is. And quite frankly, I don't think that she could actually help herself to uh, move away from these issues. I mean, uh, you know, recently, you, you know, you've seen, you know, uh, her and, and Gallego at the airport and the conversations. <laughs> I mean, look, like I don't I don't think that, you know, Miss Lake could help herself get, to get away from these issues. If she did, I really think that it could be a much more competitive race. Um, but I, I'm not entirely sure she's going to be able to do that. Well, it's interesting, Dan. You mentioned she won't have a, a primary this year. And, and I mean, Mark Lamb is still in the race, but sure. there's some maybe thoughts he'll, he'll drop out at some point. He hasn't raised a whole ton of money. But it, to Reginald's point about branding, like I wonder if even though she doesn't have a primary, might it hurt her or maybe dis-excite, if that's the word, unexcite some of the base if she's not talking about some of the issues that so excited the base when she ran for governor last year. Look, this is going to be the Super Bowl of elections. Everyone is coming out to vote. There really isn't an ability to change what the electorate looks like um, in 2024. Everyone who, who can vote and wants to vote will vote. And so to me, the question is, um, uh, how do you win in a competitive state? Carrie Lake lost by um, by about 17,000 votes, uh, and the Hobbs campaign was shocked that they won. And so I just think we're in an environment now where all these races are going to be competitive and everything's going to be a, a barn burner and come down to be a 10,000-vote race, and every vote's going to matter. So it uh, to me, you know, Ruben Gallego versus Carrie Lake – or carry like cinema and and Ruben. Either way, I think this is going to be a squeaker and, and a nail biter of a race. Yeah, I, I mean that's something I would just quite frankly push back on. You know, the reality is, as many people, uh, they're still getting to know who who Ruben Gallego is. I mean, when you actually step back and you listen to a story, someone who's pulled himself up by his bootstraps, attended Harvard, you know, went to the Marines, served in the state legislature, you know, served in Congress, has fought for his district. 
I mean, he has a compelling story, you know, and, and I do think, you know, the fact is that, you know, when people get to know who he is, I, I do think that, you know, there's no there's no comparing, you know, uh, Congressman Gallego and Carrie Lake. And and I'm not on the I'm not I- I involved in any of these campaigns, but I do think that Carrie Lake has a compelling story to tell. There's a reason people watched her and liked her for 30 years on television. So I think if she can get out there, talk about being a mom, talk about these kitchen table issues, um, I really do think she can connect with folks. Well, you have about 30 seconds left, so I want to ask each of you very quickly, when will Kirsten Cinema decide and announce her decision about whether or not she's going to run? Well, I think she's got to do it soon because she needs to collect a lot of signatures as an independent. I'm one who believes she is running um, but lately, it feels like everyone disagrees with me. <laughs> Reginald, what do you think? Yeah, I've been saying it for, for months now. I, I I don't see her running for office. I mean, we're all looking at the same polling numbers. There is no pathway. All right. That is Reginald Bolding, also Daniel Scarpinato. Thank you guys for both for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.